listening to our guest Juno Men on. <laughs> as long as we're talking, making unprofessional sounds on before we officially. There we go. Okay. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Thank you for doing that. Not right in the middle of the episode, Kyle. <laughs> thank you for I... offering us that pleasantry. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I don't know. I feel like it, it's a reflection of where I am in life that I heard that. And I think the implication was supposed to be that it was a beer or an alcoholic beverage. But I just thought, oh, LaCroix. No, yeah, it's definitely a, a Diet Coke. But because I know how. Nick's wow, that's crazy, even better. I know how Nick's crazy brain works. And I know that this, nothing would fill him with more adrenaline and rage than, than the sound of a of a how? of any kind of can being cracked oh, and, and because Kyle, and because Kyle, we're I, talking I about question. no both of you quiet now because we're talking about how basic audio quality is apparently not an issue on the show that is worth addressing you must be listening to the big bang theory theory hi i'm nick and i'm kyle and today with us we have a guest guest say your name hi i'm i'm juno men Juno Men uh, is the, the, the first in a long, long break of guestless episodes. We were going to a real guest format for a while, and then I just stopped. That's, That's true. We were, yeah. we were like one of those, uh, those team-up books, you know, and sometimes in comic books, when a comic is flagging, they'll try to boost its numbers by just introducing random, more popular heroes into well, <laughs> the book for a while. You know, the problem and, and... is, is, oh, go ahead. The the great thing about uh, about you talking about comic books, Kyle, is I feel like that's a great segue or or at least thematic setup to uh, the episode that we watch for today's episode. That is what I was going for. Good, I'm glad. Now, all right, I've been alleyped twice over for today's episode, which I haven't even described what the show is yet, and everybody. So let's fucking pump the brakes. Uh, this is a show where we watch the television series The Big Bang Theory, and we find as smooth of transitions into talking about it as possible before we talk about anything else that we'd actually rather be talking about. And so since that transition has already begun, we today watched Season 6, Episode 13, called The Bakersfield Expedition. And, uh, you know, we're not. let's not do a rating, but so we're not burying the lead. Just like general first impressions. I generally like this one. Generally liked. Okay. Do you know? How about you? And also, t- t- uh, this this clarifying caveat is, hey, for anyone who's listened to this as their first episode, Juno's a special guest. She's not on all the time. She doesn't know much about this show um, any more than we might, but I, I skipped over the questions I would ask. So tell me how you feel about the episode, Juno, but also tell me generally what your familiarity is with this program. Uh, okay, okay. Wait, a lot of questions. Um, two. Uh, for, yeah, that's that's one more than I was prepared for and two more than I generally like to answer. I'll throw this out there before I answer the questions. Kyle, let me know if at any point during this episode you feel uh, extra cheeky. And if, if you want, I will walk out of my room and into the kitchen, creating ambient noise for Nick, grab a LaCroix, come back to my room, and then open it in the middle of the, the recording. Let's let that hang over your head like the sword of Damocles, Nick. I feel my gums swelling, trying to deal with the pressure <laughs> of my teeth gnashing together. Oh, I think, God. I think Nick might kill me in my sleep tonight. Um, no, I okay. want you to be awake when it happens. I want you to know how angry I am. <laughs> oh, oh that, that makes it worse. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not looking forward to going to sleep tonight anymore. Uh, what did I think of the episode? I liked it. But also, like, I acknowledge not some really dumb jokes, right? Oh, oh, uh, oh were there? 
Oh, some, you, some... my sweet, <sighs> my sweet precious child, my princess who is new to the world of the Big Bang Theory. Were some of the jokes dumb? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, well, I can't even recall them specifically, but I remember watching the episode and I looked over at Nick several times and uh, went, "That was an awful joke," and he just went, "Yep." Yeah, it was you. You complaining about any one particular joke? I was like, you know, I I am dead to this, but. You're going to run out of breath if you're complaining about bad jokes on this show. I just, I, I remember watching this when I was a lot younger, like almost 10 years ago, actually. And I, I think I, I liked it so much that I actually binged an entire season in a day. And I just don't remember the jokes being this bad, but I also don't think that I cared much. I was just looking for something to, to fill the time. That's... And this was not the worst show to fill the time. It's funny. I had a similar experience. I was watching this with, uh, with uh, someone and... They uh, in the first like five seconds, there's a line where it's like, "Why does why does uh, Wallowitz know how to sew?" And it's like, "Well, you know, when they were growing up, once about every uh, you know three months, she he'd have to let uh, some space out in his mother's pants, and uh, so she was just like, oh, I see we're uh, we're starting out with a healthy dose of fat phobia.'" And I was like, "Oh man, if you start." If that bothers you, you are. We have not yet scratched the surface of this. Uh, yeah. You are in for a bad time. I'm, I'm uh, very. Uh, oh, I'm jumping in. I'm very confident. Right. I've brought this up on the podcast before, but I, as far as like someone getting a taste of what they're not ready for, I was on like a second date with a lady, and we were watching Old Boy. And <laughs> oh, why? Why old boy on a second date? Because I'm who I am, Juno. And I'm just wait. How? But how does that transition happen from the? I'm assuming you didn't start the second date watching old boy. I mean, defi- uh, well, it was definitely uh, talked about old boy before, just because. Uh, and I, this could just be my brain playing tricks on me, but I almost feel like the last time we talked about old boy was the other episode Juno was on. But that's fine because I wow. don't remember the story. Well, can I, I mean, wait, Nick, can I guess at, at how you transitioned into talking about Old Boy? I, I I thought, well, sure, I guess. Was Is it that, that you were on the second date and it was going real well? And n- not to spoil Old Boy, but this is going to spoil Old Boy. Uh, you and the girl that you were with were making out and you were like, wow, you got a lot of flexibility in your tongue. I wonder what it would be like if you didn't have a tongue anymore. And then you were like, speaking of which... That's you know so what much movie creepier. I haven't seen in a long time? <laughs> so much creepier than how it actually went. I was on a date with a lady, and I was like, you look a lot like my daughter. Want to go back to my place? <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you weirdos. Uh. And then she sees the point where this, this woman, who <laughs> <laughs> status undisclosed at this point in the film, is is being kidnapped by some, some random burglars. And she's like, I don't think this movie... It's great about women, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, of a rough road to get through. But as usual, we're not talking about the actual episode at all, uh, so we should shift back hard to that. Juno, you've you've seen a bunch of this. You you love it. Your you've your your fandom is undying, and this was just another notch in the belt of your your journey of pleasure with the show. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, exactly that. Um, you know, I actually have watched this episode about a dozen times before and I'd say that it's it's in my top 150 of yeah. of the show maybe you know maybe well, 
Maybe 113, 114, well, somewhere, yeah, somewhere in that region. So I'm sorry, I don't mean we. I know it's it, we're bad at uh, keeping inertia, so I don't mean to keep stepping on you, Nick. But I did just want to say, hopefully, that uh, actually I do. I don't remember many episodes of The Big Bang Theory that I've seen before, but I remember this episode for very specific reasons, and I remember being excited about like. I don't know why, because rewatching it actually isn't that great. But I remember being excited about this episode coming up in relation to our podcast because I remember being so excited to talk about the central question that gets debated in the episode with you live on podcast. And now that I'm actually getting a chance to do it, I'm like, oh, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be a fun conversation. But I just, it, I just was like, wow, oh, it'll be so right. fun. And then it, and then we never got to this episode because I didn't realize it was like buried in the like middle half of season six. But there was a long time I was looking forward to having this conversation with you, right up until the point where I actually got a chance to. Are, I feel are, like are a lot of conversations with me go that way. <laughs> are you going to ask the question, Kyle? That I, I really hope you're going to ask. Not yet, because first Nick needs to give a summary of the episode. Okay, yeah, I that's, do. That's fair. well. Which I can do very... This is a very, very straightforward episode. Uh, A plot and B plot, ooh, expertly integrated. But our our A plot is, uh, oh boy, the the boys are all going to Comic-Con. No girls allowed. That's not explicit, but it is, in fact, what happens. And they are all dressed up as TNG characters, which, honestly, is my favorite part of the episode. Like, their excitement and their commitment are what really got me and i guess that's what reminds me that i am in fact a nerd even though i hate other nerds as i see this shit and i go oh so wholesome and pure uh but sheldon was dressed up as data leonard was uh picard raj is wharf not as my words (laughs) my notes say word uh and wallowitz uh was was a member of the borg i didn't want to go i didn't want to dare and say it was like locutious of borg but a borg and that is weird now that I think about the Borg. I started to say, well, Borgs don't have names. And then you said Locutius. And I was like, oh, that's right. Some Borgs do have names. Why the well, fuck do... And that's I know a- only that one name because I'm so unfamiliar otherwise. But yeah, why do they have names? I guess you have want to identify individual units. But then easier to say Jan than a serial number, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but not if you're a robot. Never mind. I mean, that's true. Yeah. If you're in the hive mind, you don't even have to... Ooh. Okay. You know what? I think maybe there's some issues with Star Trek we'll have to talk about. But... Uh, before we get into that, uh, yeah, so they're all dressed up, and yeah, it's great, and they, they drive to, uh, Comic-Con in Bakersfield, and on the way there, Sheldon is like, hey, hey, Leonard, turn on your GPS, turn on your GPS, and he does, and, uh, Sheldon had, uh, hacked the GPS to use his own voice, uh, and he added fun trivia about the, uh, interstate highway system, uh, and I loved it. I genuinely loved uh, Sheldon's little self-satisfied scheme. Uh, and on the way, they're like, hey, let's stop at, I believe it was uh, Vasquez Rocks, where, Kyle, I'm confident you would know this. Is this is this where Kirk fights the Gorn? Is this that what is, that is? This is? I mean, they actually, if you look it up, they shoot a lot of stuff there, I think. They shoot a lot of, like, adventures on random desert world thing. But yes, most famously of all the famous things that they shot on Star Trek, it is the it is the alien planet where uh, Hyrat Power teleports uh, Kirk and the captain of the Gorn ship to engage in ruthless combat because the surface of the planet is littered with the natural resources needed to make weapons, which the Gorn doesn't 
despite the Gorn being perfectly intelligent, the Gorn relies on his natural weapons and his intense physical strength and his formidable impenetrable skin, whereas Kirk figures out that he can use the base metals of the planet and the saltpeter to construct a primitive cannon and blows the shit out of the Gorn. So yeah, it's that place. (laughs) Except... Uh, and my biggest problem with, well, yeah, I think it is my biggest problem with the episode. Shittiest looking set. They do not actually go on scene. And it's this weird, like, clearly, like, soundstage backdrop blue screen thing. And it sucks. Uh, I, 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 I have to jump in here to say I 100% agree. Like, I, I know there are some bad jokes in the episode, but... We spent a decent amount of time, Nick, when we watched the episode talking about how awful and unbelievable the green screen was because it was awful and yeah. unbelievable. And yeah. I have to throw this in there. As someone that grew up in the Southern California region and spent a lot of time in the Bakersfield desert, uh, I feel like it would have just been cheaper to film in Bakersfield. That is, well, yeah, it, it would have been so easy. Um, and also, like, I, I almost felt defensive when we were watching those scenes like i wanted to lean over and be like it's not usually it doesn't usually look this shitty uh it it stood out so bad so i get i don't i hate i normally don't out myself for being dumb but it never occurred to me that they weren't actually in the desert so i just didn't even look i just assumed yep that's what the desert looks like in the background i can only imagine and i don't know how you've made it this long kyle that you exist with two-dimensional vision, <laughs> that, that everything must look like a series of flat landscapes to you, and I'm glad that you've made it through because, oh, it was so hideous. But uh, uh, at, at, at some point during the episode, I actually thought maybe they didn't even, like, they didn't even have a track for the green screen. They just had the actors walking in frame but with their knees cut off, and so they were all walking in place, pretending to walk down the desert as the green screen played a video behind them. Oh, that doesn't sound far-fetched. Uh, well, and to, to move this along, yeah, so they go to the they go to the shitty fake desert because they want to do a photo shoot while they're all dressed up in their, their again, admittedly, radical costumes. And uh, then totally off-screen, someone steals Leonard's car. And yeah. through shitty dialogue they're like oh my keys were in my pants and everyone else is like so were mine ah so yeah they instead of going to the comic con they walk uh, along a desert road no one will pick them up as hitchhikers because they look like freaks someone throws a big slushy at sheldon and they end up uh finally walking their way to a diner and as shortest version is wallowitz calls their mom his mom and asks them all for a ride home but what really bummed me out is uh, they they don't ever go to the con, and not because they're like we're better than this. No, they they they're defeated. They're they're yeah, broken hearted. Really, you're right. It was really sad. I agree. Yeah, it's it was so strange for like a, a happy like always like poppy kind of sitcom is yeah like no they failed and they're bummed out and they're dejected and they accept their loss and. Like it was, it was strange to me. I don't know. Are, are there ever any like through arcs in seasons where there's like a, a no. starting point and an end point when it comes to the characters? No, I mean like, this isn't loosely. part of some some. Okay. I mean, I was wondering some, if no, no. Are you asking? Will this lead to character growth or have some later payoff? Absolutely. Exactly. It is exactly. unthinkable at this yeah. point that that will happen. 
I, I you know, for as, as bad as some of the jokes were, there was a scene at the diner that I thought was was pretty lovely that had pretty okay dialogue, where uh, you know, Wallowitz, I think it was Wallowitz, is going around and like, hey, so you're not down and you're not down and you're n-. no, it was Raj, and then Raj was like, man, two versus two, how are we going to decide? And Sheldon very sadly looks over and goes, actually, it's three versus one, and that was that was his way of saying, I also just want to go home. That's a scene you really liked. You liked the way I, Sheldon gave up. I I, I just, just thought it was I a very was sweet poignant. scene. Yeah, it was, I, it was a well constructed scene. I don't like to ever compliment Jim Parsons. I don't know why. For all I know, he's a lovely person. But uh, I thought he almost he uh, he frankly he overacted the poignancy when he delivered the line. The the weight of the amount of of basically it felt to me like he was having like post-traumatic flashbacks to being bullied as a child. And I was like, uh, yeah, you really sold that side note, not relevant to that particular scene. Uh, by the time they get to that point, I guess that's the only relevance is, uh, Sheldon at least is no longer in his makeup at all. Still got his outfit on. And I was like, it's like Sheldon looking like regular Sheldon, looks like a more believable data than to me than when he was in the data makeup. Yes. I feel that's, like... that's also, I noticed that it's when his hair was down and he just looked kind of sad. He looked almost, he looked like a pretty believable Star Trek character. Yeah. I feel like he, he looked a little shiny in, in the latter scenes of the episode. Like his makeup had faded, but not totally worn off. Maybe. Uh, but anyway, so they, well, we'll have to, we always, uh, eventually, Juno, after we record the first half of the episode, we stop and we watch the director's commentary on the episode. So we'll settle that issue, uh, you know, in another Wait, hour or two. Is, do you really do that? No, absolutely. Right, Nick? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck would, what would the director's commentary be on any given episode? Like, yeah, Just I mean. A lot of sighing. You know, the deadline was Thursday. We did this on a Wednesday. So I guess. If you want to watch the other 20 minutes of this, that's what you can expect. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it wraps up. They go home. And where it converges with the B-plot, which I've yet to discuss, is uh, B-plot's super short also. Um, with the nerds gone, the ladies go out for brunch, and they're having a good time. And they're like, why the, Why do our boyfriends like these stupid comic books so much? Let's go to the comic book shop and pick some up and find out. And they go to the comic book shop and... It's the most overplayed joke. It's not a bad joke. It's just a joke that everyone has done a million times of three ladies walking into the comic book shop. And for the first time, there are like more than three people in it. And it's a bunch of like super horny mouth breathing nerds that almost start to swarm <laughs> the three ladies. But Stuart steps they do, in. They do, they do play it sort of like a zombie scene, don't they? Yeah. And, and Stuart like has to a couple times like assert himself to keep them at bay like this is the only time Stuart has not been completely pathetic is that in his own dominion he at least has rule over the other nerds that I frankly that I believe I think that is a realistic portrayal of what it's like to own a comic book shop it's like god damn it I may be a low status piece of shit anywhere else I go but at least I'm not a guy who comes to a comic book shop and isn't getting paid that's how it felt working at a comic book shop. Yeah. Didn't Stuart go on a date with Penny in the first season or two? Oh, he has fallen so far from that. We've talked about oh. this before. Stuart, Stuart has been... They, they don't explicitly... Like, again, no one in this show has arcs. Just But at some point, Stuart went from being like, I can reasonably date Penny 
and I'm kind of a funny nerd guy to uh, I I am a I am a struggling I am crippled by depression and financial insecurity and live in my comic book shop because I have no money and well, very little hope for the future and my only friend is Raj. That that is a bummer. That's a that's a big bummer. I like Stewart in the first couple of seasons. Well, I mean, he's still likable, but he's he is pathetic and he he keeps the nerds at bay long enough to answer a few questions about basic superhero stuff. And as soon as he started naming off superheroes, I could feel like my blood starting to race through my body because I was like, "This is going to be so fucking stupid." Uh, and then it doesn't go anywhere, so that's great. That's that was that was a false flag. Uh, and uh, I do they... want to say the the comic that Stuart recommends is Fables, oh, Fables? which yeah. is a great. That was a solid. I mean, I Stuart surprised. is good at his job. That would have that probably would have been a. a fantastic introduction to the medium yeah no it was great it was like it yeah it was like it's like mainstream and easy enough to get into but like everything you described about it not being like tropey trash or whatever is also true what are you gonna say Juno? it it, it sounds like the uh the show's researchers really did their work yeah at least one of them knew about comics popular at the time which is hopefully the least they could do yeah, when it comes to that comic book shop, they always seem to do their work, at least in the fact that the comic book stock is always stocked with real comic books that have conceivably come out sometime in the last, like, 20 or 30, you know, yeah. months. And uh, they settle on Thor, though, because Penny says he's hot. Uh, and then the whole B-plot is they, the, the ladies go back to Penny's and they have a little book club for their single issue of Thor, they make fun of Penny because she can't read very well and it takes her a real long time. Which is and... so mean. I just that was such a mean thing to do. Oh, again, if the if the Penny is a dumb person or Penny uh, jokes get to you, oh, oh man, it's just I don't know. Like uh, making fun of I mean, your friend because she reads slower than you is a really mean thing to do. How much of this show did you watch though? Because <laughs> I feel like that's that's par for the course. I think I, I I watched a lot of it when I was younger, and I just don't think I picked up on any of this. Okay, okay. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's totally common. No, Penny is always uh made fun of for being the 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 hickish, possibly sociopathic bully who is uh, the closest they've got to ever admitting she might have any of her own intelligence to make her less than a subhuman is she starts taking college courses and is doing so so and has to like shove leonard aside to be like don't cheat for me i need to earn these mediocre grades on my own and that was nice but yeah other than that she's she's always the dumb dumb um but yeah so they they start reading uh a single issue of thor uh they discuss it they're like boy that was stupid but what are the properties of Thor's hammer? Now that we're thinking about it, and they have a big argument about that. They reread it and they're like, "Oh, this doesn't answer our questions. I guess we have to go back to Leonard's apartment and sort through all those comics until we get the answer." This is happening just as the boys are coming home from their miserable trip, and they're like, "Oh God, we've had a terrible journey." Uh, Sheldon tries to point out a couple times, like much like an actual crew of the Starfleet, we are. Uh, on mission in a hostile planet dealing with uh, oppressive forces and we we need to power through and finally in this moment they're like okay at some point 
because the the ladies are all in the apartment all of a sudden enthusiastically arguing about comic books, we've gone to an alternate dimension or something has happened where this is real and they all get their phasers ready to burst into the apartment and deal with whatever weird alien threat uh, is is reading their comic books. And uh, that itself, honestly, I think, satisfying ending. Stinger is, we see the car thieves that were not featured before, driving Leonard's car, uh, really getting a kick out of Sheldon's GPS. So, uh, those are all the broader strokes. Uh, (laughs) Please, either of you, dive in about anything that's annoying the hell out of you, or that you really love, anything's cute, fun. I just want to take a so like I said I've been despite the fact that I have uh, been excited about this forever I realized of course that the answer is Nick Hyde does not give a shit so I will try to make this very short just out of curiosity Nick and then Juno who might be at least a little more excited about this here is the question that they spend so much time arguing about. And I just want your, you know, one sentence thoughts on it. Under what conditions can someone who is not Thor move Thor's hammer? (sighs) So knowing next to nothing about it. So I am aware that the Hulk has been able to pick up Thor's hammer, I think. And even that, I'm like, that's whack. It's Thor's hammer. He's the only one that can pick it up. That's it's, you know... Uh, I think, I don't remember who in the episode says it, but someone at one point is like, it's magic, right? That explains it. It's magic. And that's that's the side I'm on. Only for Thor. So, and I know Kyle, that's can... not practically true. Sorry, go ahead. Kyle, can you repeat? What was the question again? So what the, the specific question that they are arguing about in the story is, under what circumstances can someone who is not Thor be said to have moved Thor's hammer? So some examples that they give in the episode is... If Thor picks the hammer up and then someone picks Thor up, does that count as picking up the hammer? Or what if the hammer is floating through space? Technically, uh, the hammer can't be moored in anything, so so anyone should be able to pick it up in space, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all debate under, about these circumstances and how. And Penny, of course, says, "Well, it's just really, really heavy, and Thor is the only person strong enough to pick it up." But everyone quickly shoots them that down as the most ridiculous answer because, of course, that's not how magic works. Okay, so I, I actually, I love this question, and I think it's partly because I have a fascination with Thor's hammer in the Marvel universe. Because uh, it's not that anyone can pick it up, uh, in like. Anyone outside of Thor can pick it up. It's that Thor also has to be worthy to pick it up. And so it's that is uh, he, 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 whoever he is, be, be they worthy or something. I don't know the exact phrasing. Uh, so my assumption is that it's a standard of worthiness that Odin decided to imprint into the hammer that is benchmarked against where he believes Thor should be operating at from an honor and integrity standpoint. And if anyone should happen to pick up the hammer that operates at that level that Odin predeterministically set, uh, then they would be able to wield the hammer. Yeah. Uh, Was he, were but, you going somewhere with that, Kyle? <laughs> no, but then here's... So if... if uh, if the hammer was floating in space and someone else tried to touch it, what would happen? Oh, Kyle, so this is what I word was happening. No, we're not going to... You, you've asked your questions. We've answered them. We That's watched fair. the argument on the episode today. We, we don't have to relitigate this in real life. And technically the current canon is that uh, it's not... A, I mean, it's true that Odin, because he was all-father all at the time, has set some preconditions I object to this is even happening. What, 
Okay, keep, to keep keep no, going, no, 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 but no, know that I'm fine. frowning. No, it's welcome to make. Old Boy and Odin's Kingdom, a podcast with uh, Kyle. I don't know your last name, and me. It's fine. Let's we'll just move on. What else did people like about the episode? Uh, I actually I did like the, the what did you call it, Nick? A stinger. The the final little scene, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of charming. You know, these these two carjackers that are kind of rough looking dudes are both like. Wow, I do love interstate trivia. I uh, I will emphasize that the GPS was my favorite part of it because, like, if it were just Sheldon's voice, that is a fun prank, but ultimately, like, well, not ultimately. I think it would get annoying really, really quickly. But the fact that he added all of his own fun facts about the interstate highway system and uh, <laughs> he's... He's mouthing along to the the, the own uh, trivia he included, and he, he gives a little finger wag when he's like, oh, you know, these systems are uh, set up for interloops and spurs. Uh, I, yeah, it's, I think whenever Sheldon to me is being the real Sheldon that I think his character should be, I eat it up. And so both his commitment to starfleet and just the gps prank uh i thought we're all super hot super solid sheldon moments especially like and juno you haven't been here for this but i've been griping a lot the last few episodes that sheldon has been uh taking a lot of uncharacteristic actions and so this seemed like some real pure sheldon to me that i appreciated i so i you know i, I can't speak to that because i haven't seen the big bang theory or season six in a very long time I just have to imagine that doing that project was a lot of fun for Sheldon. Because I, like, I feel like for how annoying I know it would be, it'd still be fun to do. I was going to say that like group costumes are always fun, but I've only ever done like one group costume that I can recall. And it was fun. <laughs> uh, and the other time... Actually, I was going <laughs> to... I forgot that, yeah, you were there for this, Judo's. I remember trying to have a group costume thing when Mad Max Fury Road came out. And oh. we had that Mario Kart party. I I dressed up like a war boy, aka covered myself in talcum power, and was a cloudy mess for the whole evening. Did didn't you have Cat like show up as like a, a that, Mad Maxian that, slave girl? I did not have her show up that way. She showed up that way, and it was just pretty cool. That's... And then she fed you a chicken. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's what it's like to be Nick Hyde, everybody. You say, "Hey, who wants to go see a movie?" And an hour later, someone in Dominatrix gear is feeding you uh, a roast chicken. Uh, it's a pretty good life, but we're here to talk about the show, everybody. I got distracted. <laughs> um, anything else about this episode? It's very straightforward, so I don't know if there's much more we want to pluck away at. I, I just got to say, the, the makeup was really solid. Especially, what, Raj's wharf? Yes. That was, that was an impress. Like, uh, in the hypothetical that they did that themselves... In the premise of the episode, that's some impressive makeup skilling. Well, that's one of the initial jokes, too, is Penny comes over seeing them get ready. Uh, and as Leonard opens up his multi-tiered makeup kit, Penny goes, you have more makeup than I do. You have better makeup than I do. And yeah, so they really seem to know their stuff there, at least. And you know what? Actually, you know, this was not explicitly in the episode, but looking back... Hey, kudos episode for having a bunch of dudes apply makeup and for whatever reason not using is an excuse to, to joke about how uh, 
a feat and possibly homosexual they are. <laughs> you know? Oh no, they make that joke. Sorry to ruin well, that, that, well, I Kyle, Wait. I think they brushed with it. <laughs> when, when, when what joke what joke did they make, Kyle, that that you feel brushes into that area? It's so when the police officer is interviewing yes. them and they're listing out the inventory of things stolen, which I assume is that a real thing, Nick, when police officers come to take a police report, do they do they if, actually if you want to get stuff back or identify it, yeah, you're supposed to list what you think was stolen. And oh. so they're like our wallets and you know our keys and you know a bunch of makeup. And the guy's like, makeup, huh? I mean, he doesn't quite say it. That was a bad read. He's, he, I was trying to convey yeah. condescension. He's just like, oh, makeup. So it's not quite like, oh, what a bunch of like uh, girls or anything like that. It's, it's more just like uh, you, you weirdos and your strange Yeah, habits. But it's in very average, clear that he is like, I yeah, do not I, have any time for this. I, I, I picked up on that joke, but I, I didn't pick up on any hint of like homo, homophobic. It's, from it's, the, I mean, the it's just contempt. Contempt for people who, yeah. would wear, who would wear makeup. Well, that's why I said it, you know, they brushed with it. And I didn't even remember that specific. I thought, and maybe, I thought it was during the same interaction, and maybe I misheard it. I thought there was a joke specifically about Raj's skin color and whether he was wearing makeup. And I was like, every opportunity to be racist, though, you gotta, huh? Um, I missed that one. But... I, I, I think you caught the one and I caught the other. <laughs> But yeah, and I guess the it is true now that you mention it, it's a little fucked up that Raj. I mean, maybe I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. Why is why did Raj have to be a Klingon? I don't know. Maybe it's fine. That that is uh, a whole other big issue, which we could get into. Is yeah, Raj is the Klingon because I guess his his skin tone most naturally matched that of Worf. But uh, that was it. His choice, I guess. That's the scene we would need to have. Maybe is. Like, how into this was Raj, and how much were his friends like, you're going to be Worf, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it's like, Worf is a cool character. There's no shame in being Worf. We should all be so lucky as to be Worf. On the other hand, it's like, I don't like imagining the scene where he's like, no, Riker's the cooler character. And he's like, and they're like, no, you're not allowed to be Riker. Anything else that people want to bring up before we move on to the things we enjoy? Yeah, a question. Is it, is it, okay, now I feel dumb asking this question. What's too late? never feel dumb asking a question on the Big Bang Theory If if you don't know that she's your daughter, is it okay to have sex with her? Well, according to whom? I don't, both of you. Well, no, I mean, who is making the determination about whether it's okay? Because. I don't know who decides whether Thor's hammer is worthy. Apparently, that's not an appropriate conversation guess... to have on this podcast. We have laws. Boy... Let me, <laughs> let me ask. Okay, let me rephrase. Is okay. uh, according to Odin, <laughs> would it be okay to have sex with your biological daughter? Absolutely. Oh, according to Odin. <laughs> yeah, like without a, in the blink of an eye. <laughs> those, those creepy old fucks. <laughs> Was there more to that? Nope, that was it. That was <laughs> all, all right, cool. <laughs> I think that is a strong indication we should move on to our, our nerdy say, you thing of the Zeus week. Zeus never had sex with one of his daughters? I think canonically he almost certainly did. Yeah, like finding a deity that hasn't had some sort of incest is, is like finding a needle in a haystack. That said. But when uh, Oedipus does it, all of a sudden, oh, no. 
fucking well, and that's standards. why we go back to the question of, well, I'm, right, according to whom? <laughs> I'm sorry, like, Kyle, is Oedipus a god? That's, no, he's... Well, uh, but... He's just... There you go. That That's the answer. All right. Uh, okay. Things we actually like now. Juno, as the guest, you get to choose whether you want to go first, second, or third. Oh, okay. I, I'm going to go third. Okay. Kyle, you want to go first, or should I? Mine's half-hearted this week, so... I'll go first. All right. Um, so first, I just wanted to... I, I think we talked a little bit... I'm still playing this game, Control, and I'm still really ambivalent about it, because on the one hand, I like some of the gameplay and all of the world-building in that game so much. It is such a good game in terms of, like, the way it establishes, like, the weird world that the game takes place in and the weird physics of the game are really fun and I'm sure, you know, pretty hard to pull off. Uh, On the other hand, still keep getting, just keep running into random annoying bullshit fights. I don't mean like Dark Souls fights where it's like, ah, I'm just not good enough at the game. I just mean really like, really, this is how you decided we were going to resolve this boss encounter or, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't, put a fucking check mark on the map so I could figure out where I'm going next. Just little stuff like that where I'm like, we could have really just some basically quality of life upgrades would have made me so much happier with this game. So I still am on the fence about it. I really want to recommend it, but I just don't know if I can in good faith. But uh, if you want to, if you want a good spooky game, maybe try control. Uh, All right. And then also, uh, I reread one of my favorite comic books, which is uh, actually what first it was great because one of my friends uh, who is a real nerd, unlike either of you, has gotten. That's not fair, Juno. You're you're probably a real nerd, unlike Nick. Thanks, thanks, um, Kyle. I appreciate that. Yeah, I remembered I re- what a gorg was, being, was. Oh, come on. I was just being <laughs> I was just being gatekeepy there for no reason for a second. But one of my friends. Uh, have had the joy has recently gotten really really into Superman and so they've come to me for all of the Superman comic recommendations and I told them like six months ago I was like if there's only one Superman graphic novel that you should read it's Tom King's Up in the Sky which I think I've recommended on this podcast before but who gives a fuck Um, so I was like it is the definitive Superman story it is the single best Superman graphic novel I've ever read in my entire fucking life and uh you know, six months went by and this person read like everything else. And I had frankly forgotten that I'd recommended it to them. Uh, I mean, I'd multiple times I recommended it to them, but I finally gave up. And then they were randomly like, oh yeah, I remember to read this thing and I'm reading it now. And then like the next four hours were just them texting me every five seconds about the, uh, how awesome this graphic novel was, which is, you know, this is what's like to be a real kind of gatekeeping nerd because on the one hand very gratifying on the other hand super annoying because i was like we could have had this conversation six months ago if you just you know not only took my recommendations but took them immediately as the word of gospel instead of you know finding your own path motherfucker um i feel that way all the time so i understand (laughs) thank you uh but uh so they read it and they really liked it and they liked it so much and their enthusiasm was so infectious. That I was like, it is good, isn't it? I should go back and reread that. And it's still so great. So the premise of Superman up in the sky is it's very simple. It's a, a random little girl gets kidnapped and taken 
into space to the opposite end of the galaxy. And everybody, all the superheroes are like, well, that kind of sucks, but none of us have time to go into space and travel across the galaxy to find like one little girl. Like that's, that's just way outside of our, like, uh, our department. Um, there's, there's nothing anyone can do. Who knows where she is? Who knows how long it'll take to find her? It could take like years. Space is big, lots of scary stuff. The odds of coming back are low. It's just, it's not worth anyone's time except Superman. And Superman is like, I, I can't really call myself super. I can't, I have to do it. So Superman leaves Earth. And what is – he acknowledges this is an irresponsible move, right? Because that's like, you know, leaving the entire – it's not It's not logical. It's leaving the entire Earth undefended. He's like, no, there's a child in space somewhere who needs me. I'm going to go – so the entire rest of the comic, it's only like six issues, but it's broke – each issue is broken up in half. So it's like little, 12 little vignettes. It's 12 little vignettes of Superman crossing the galaxy and having insane sort of random – encounters and random little stories that illustrate just you know who he is and how he thinks and and what his worldview is and what kind of challenges he's willing to overcome on his quest to just save one random person and it's really good nice you name it one more time please it's called superman up in the sky cool i will uh, give oh good i was just gonna say I, i need to read some superman comics i've never read any and i feel like i would enjoy some well, you just there got a recommendation, are. baby. That's true. That's, that does sound pretty good. Well, I will recommend, uh, and again, this is half-hearted. Uh, I've been playing, I don't know if it's called Persona 5 Strikers or just Persona Strikers. But anyway, it's based off Persona 5. And the reason it's half-hearted Dynasty is... Dynasty uh, Warriors Persona is, I believe, the official title. Yes. Well, and that's what I was going to try to explain is... Uh, yeah, it's so Persona Five is a pretty typical JRPG, and uh, Persona Five Strikers takes the themes and enemies and all that kind of stuff, but translates them into uh, the Dynasty Warrior style. I think they're called a Musou or Musou games, based off of a power you get in the Dynasty Warrior series. But anyway, um, but and it's fun. Like it's not like the Dynasty Warriors games I've played where you are in like gigantic fields with dozens or hundreds of enemies that you're trying to storm through. Instead, it's the maps you're exploring uh, will have, you know, individual avatar enemies. You run into one of those and then out from one of those will pop, you know, like a dozen enemies that you have to clear out real quick. And so it still has, you know, um, specific battles it's not a free-for-all it's you you engage in a battle battle ends you move on to the next group which i don't love just based on my what my expectations were but i think it still does work for a persona game i was really kind of hoping to be able to just bash through giant hordes but it's you know that's that was an issue of expectation i don't think it's a problem with the game um but the the reason it's a half-hearted recommendation and what i do think is a problem with the game is that Persona 5, the base game, I haven't finished Persona Royal, is about 100 hours. And that is too long. Uh, And in a Persona game, I'll put up with it. Because, um, well, and particularly, like, long cutscenes and a lot of dialogue and stuff like that. Because in the Persona games, there's this strong social element to it. You know, when you're talking with people, 
you, you're making choices about who to talk to and why, and it actually affects uh, the gameplay. And so it is a way, I think, pretty of pretty well integrating all of this character backstory into the gameplay itself. Uh, when I'm playing a game, though, where I just want to run around and beat the shit out of things, and those scenes are are uh, have in between them easily and frequently an hour plus of dialogue. <laughs> no, and so, no, thank you. And so I think I got to near the end of the second chapter before I just started skipping cutscenes. I was like, you know what? I know this is a story based game, and I should be enjoying the story if I'm going to play this, but not this kind of game. I will put up with this in a long form RPG, but like an action game. It's too jarring. Like, it's, why should I have to sit around for an hour plus so I can smash things for 30 minutes and then wait another hour? So, like I said, the, the actual gameplay I am enjoying, I, I, I think it is a fun game. I enjoy the game. But as far as, I think it tried to, I think it held on to too much of the traditional RPG stuff. So, that's my caveat. But yeah, Persona Strikers is my, my recommendation. Uh, Juno, your turn. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, at the top of the episode, Sheldon referenced his sister, and I got so excited that she might make an appearance in this episode because I found out recently that uh, the actress that plays Sheldon's sister in The Big Bang Theory also plays a character in maybe one of my favorite TV shows whose fifth season just dropped, and that's Cobra Kai. Hell yeah. Um, Cobra Kai is so good. It has no right Daniel to be LaRusso's as good. Daniel suspiciously hot wife. Dan, okay, his and she's a great actress too. She's really good, and she's also a well-rounded character. But yeah, she is ridiculously attractive. Like she is absurdly attractive, and she's also very good in the show. And everyone else in the show is very good. And I cannot recommend Cobra Kai enough to anyone that has even a passing interest in the Karate Kid. Nice. Yeah. You're, I'm a big fan myself. I have a Cobra Kai t-shirt. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about buying some Cobra Kai swag. It's just a very good show. That. Um, go ahead. That not, not, not to give anything away, but like one of the things that really impresses me with the show is how, how naturally it can exist inside the universe that the Karate Kid movies set up. And how it just leverages very naturally and and organically all the characters that showed up in the original three movies. Um, And anytime a character comes back, they're typically, I think, almost actually exclusively played by the actor that portrayed them 30 plus years ago. Yes, I think that's a rule that the production set for itself. Is that they are just only going to introduce characters who they know they can secure i mean they even they even did an in-show funeral for one of the characters who was an who was like a minor character in the original karate kid and then died and so yeah they, they introduced yeah. him in the show as a character who was sick because he was sick in real life and then when he died they're like ah oh, it's a bummer he died and and you know what that was i think i remember i think i know what episode you're talking about that was a beautiful moment in the show yes. and that was that was real character development and then we go back to like it's and then it's basically glee but with karate some of the time and it's exactly. just like it's just yep. like teenagers street fighting in in the locker room like it's fucking river city rumble 
It's it's fascinating. It's fascinating how they've built a universe where it's just very casual for people to have all-out karate wars in high school, and then you know occasionally um, a really a really robust man in his thirties or forties that has nothing better to do will will roam into the high school and start beating up the kids too. I like fights. I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds fun. I don't know. <laughs> I will say also, it is a plot point in the Big Bang Theory on the couple of times that Sheldon's sister has shown up that she is ridiculously and distractingly attractive. Yeah, and poor Raj, who already can't talk to ladies, uh, turns inside out so he can rip the tongue out uh, more easily than having to shove his fist into his throat. He does. So we're, back to, we're back to severing tongues now, are we? That's ultimately what it all comes down to. Good old-fashioned, you know, Colombian necktie situation. Uh, don't look that up. Or now that I've said it, you absolutely will look it up. But you shouldn't look it up. <laughs> Maybe that's a good place to end. Hey, everyone. Don't look up what a Colombian necktie is. See you in two weeks! <laughs>
Although, you did I it, Kyle. That, you got I everyone mean, to shut up about Thor. <laughs> in the sense that if it hit something hard enough that didn't that it couldn't travel through, it would stop. I guess it doesn't like, you know, it's not uh, it's not like the Juggernaut where it can. So in that sense, you know, the Hulk can move Thor's hammer because Thor could hit Hulk with his hammer, and then this is what being a nerd is. It's like the you know, it's like doing uh, what's that thing in the uh the talmud where you know a bunch of rabbis just debate the scripture all day long and come up with incredibly absurd and elaborate scenarios to figure out how everything works it's like the hulk getting hit by thor's hammer isn't technically wielding thor's hammer right but it does stop thor's hammer from moving at least somewhat kyle i was it uh... alters it <laughs> alters the cartesian coordinates but not as an act of uh but... voluntary will Okay, maybe maybe I have a little more to add to this conversation. I feel like Thor's hammer isn't meant to be characterized as unstoppable. It's just meant to be characterized as you can't wield it. And and right, wield is a pretty loose definition, right? Like wielding I don't think necessarily means um you can you can stop velocity. I think it just means like can you can you handle it? Can you move it? Can you if it was if it was moving in a direction in space, could you redirect its direction? And the, well, the answer, that's what I'm saying though, is you couldn't like grab it and swing it, uh, but you could, you could probably like, you know, put an asteroid in front of it. And if the hammer wasn't moving with enough speed or force to like crack the asteroid in half, it would become embedded in the asteroid. And then the question becomes, well, then could you put the entire asteroid, uh, you know, in a ship and move the asteroid? And the answer yeah. is probably yes. Is the asteroid wielding the hammer at that point? <laughs> is the asteroid worthy? Yeah, I don't think anyone is wielding the hammer. Maybe that's the the secret is, is you know, uh, is when Thor is not holding the hammer, essentially no one is wielding the hammer. I mean, but you're right. I think wielding also just means having ac- access to all of the powers that the hammer confers upon its user. So. Yeah. Like I one of one one something I I've not seen about the hammer very often and I wish that we saw this more. Is Thor just putting it on someone's chest and being like stay there? Right, but that's that's exactly what we're saying is that works apparently, but what if you put it in a helicopter? Are we saying the helicopter couldn't take off? Wow, okay, yeah. No, no. If no. Thor if see, these are important questions. This is what nerds are supposed to be talking about is if Thor left his Hammer on a helicopter, would the helicopter be able to fly off or would it just be grounded? Or would it take off and leave like a hole in the ground? Like, would it rip a hole in the ship, but the helicopter would be able to, presumably one of those two, either either the helicopter can fly or the helicopter could move, but the the bottom would fall out of it. Can can the end of the episode just be me and Kyle debating the merits of Thor's hammer? No, I, I mean, it is. Fade to, to, <laughs> as, as we fade out. Yeah, no, that's that's what's happening. That's there's gonna be an an end of the episode beep boop like there always is, and people are gonna be like, Oh, okay, well it's over, but there seems to be about five or ten more minutes on here, and they're gonna keep listening like this must be a Marvel type stinger, and I'm gonna get good information, and they're gonna hear you fucking ding dongs talking about this goddamn hammer, and they're gonna hear me saying, I can't believe we're still talking about this hammer. <laughs> And that's where the episode will end. (laughs)